You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. There was once a dream. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper. And it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers. Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm gonna have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can find All it takes is faith and trust. Well, if it isn't the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! <laughs> Dolph, what is your goal? And he said, I have to be the first person and the last person to leave. 
take his three moves. And he saw me look at him and go like, whoa, like right there. I had to give him a lecture about his his uh, wrestling like jargon. Like, yeah. I just want to help yeah. the company. You know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you don't want to go rogue and do something that might cost you or your son. <laughs> yeah, Dewey's doing pretty well with him. Yeah, he's doing all right. He's yeah. part of that creative team. That's a difficult job. It's a really thankless job. Like, no one comes in after a great promo and goes, who wrote that promo? Yeah. I need to talk to that guy. But if it's bad, then they, of course, they hear about it. Yeah, and I, like that. I feel like that's the negativity of the internet in general, right? A fan, being a fan of something in general. You watch stuff you love. You rarely take the time to go tell the people that made the thing you love, you love it. It's when you're mad about something that you're like, hey, now I'm really motivated to say something horrible to you. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you guys follow WWE, some of you, the current product? Yeah. I guess we won't talk about the current product. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that hard? Like, you know, you've obviously been in the business a long time. You've seen it evolve, you've seen it change, and now you are in a place, right, where you talk anywhere about anything, and it's shared instantaneously everywhere. Like you're saying, there's going to be a headline on a YouTube video. Yeah, but you know what? In a way, it, it, work, it works out okay because um, the you know what's nice is I, the big charge against me was that I was no longer relevant. Right? This is like the only thing I've done was gotten a little bit older, <laughs> and then I started seeing like about five years ago. All of a sudden, on Halloween, people are dressing up as mankind. Sure. You know, and it's like oh. I, the only thing I did was get a little more old, and now I'm no longer irrelevant. Now I'm part of people's childhood memories. Oh, yeah. And did anyone see when I was ejected from a wing-eating contest for cheating? <laughs> I didn't know. I, uh, the guy, and it happened to be the same guy who done the documentary I Am Santa Claus with me, and also the outstanding Bill Murray documentary, Bill Murray Story. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It'll make you feel good if you haven't. Watch it, it's really good. Get a few friends around and make you feel good, good about life. But he had to be the cameraman for this, he was a radio station sponsoring, you know, big cat radio stations yeah. that have, uh, uh, they put the stuff on video. I thought you could contend with like 50 to 60 wings eaten. I didn't know the woman next to me who had a team of people almost force feeding her these like room temperature wings that were just like skin stretched over bone. She had one with 465 wings in 20 minutes. Okay, that's a lot of wings. Two 10 minute way. periods. So I downed about 40 in the first 10 minute period. And then I realized I'm looking at these big screens with images of people project. There's 16,000 people at 9 o'clock in the morning in an arena in Philadelphia. And I realized. Down, right, to get the foreign objects. 
So that's the way I would do it when I got the sock. It was never here. It was always like this. So that's pretty much the way I was doing the wings. I was like... <laughs> and then when, they got, when I got caught, it was like that impression. Like, what? How dare you, sir? How dare you? Missing 
four teeth. And people are like, oh my gosh, can I hang out? It's like, yeah, I get to do this in public. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. If you walk down a normal street, people cross to get away from you. <laughs> they used to, back in the day. I don't, I don't have the eyes anymore. The eyes are kind of a giveaway. You know? Sure. That's one of the things I had going for me when I was wrestling. It's like, hey, the one thing I looked for, when I was a fan, I would be like, okay, you go to school, I know most of that wrestling is, but that guy or that was real, you know? Yeah. And so people had their questions like, okay, I know, I know, but I think that guy's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I did a good job of convincing people, so. You well, know, yeah, your, your actions, I think, backed up any crazy yeah. looks you had. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty good at it. And then as I, saw, as I said in a special I did like three years ago for the network, People didn't see through the character, they saw past it. Yeah. And especially, you know, one of the difficulties I have when I come out on any type of elevated platform is to fight the urge, the instinct to drop an elbow off it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll gladly lay on the floor if you want to jump. In 2013, I mentioned that my life had not been without its, you know, downside as I'd never defeated Chris Jericho. And all of a sudden, Jericho rolls up on the stage. And I was like, it took me a second to think what the heck he was doing there. And then I see CM, and I did, he, he laid down there, and I just looked at him and I said, oh, I'm all out of elbows, man. Keeping <laughs> in mind that I used to do, like I said, unimaginable things in front of like 26 people in Boca, West Virginia. Now we got 18,000 in Madison Square Garden. And I look at Jericho and I'm all out of elbows. And then once Punk came up to be the referee, like, I realized, like, you know, if I don't drop some kind of elbow here, I'm going to have to look myself in the mirror, you know, for the rest of my life. And so I just said, like, I said, oh, you're taking all the impact on this. <laughs> and I always took great pride in taking care of my opponents, and that night I didn't take care of them. I dropped all my body weight on them. Uh, yeah, it was joyous. It was really cool. <laughs> you talk about you know doing unimaginable things to yourself. Yeah. I, yesterday, I was tweeting about getting ready to interview you, having you up here, doing all these different things. And somebody wrote in with a question that I thought was interesting. That was Pat, and it was asking if knowing what he knows now, he still would have started Hell in a Cell at the top of the oh. cell. Oh. I, I want to expand it a little bit for you answer. Of I never thought about that question. Obviously, you're here. You're McFoley. You're a legend. You can't. You know, everybody loves you. Do you have regrets about the business and things you did? Regrets? I've had a few. <laughs> <laughs> then again. Too few to mention. I've lived. <laughs> um, you know what's funny is like they could never recapture that place in time because a I don't you know. I worked on The Undertaker for two weeks just to convince him to give it a try. And if it, they, if it, if it, Mr. McMahon, now that we've learned so much, you know, they would have said absolutely not. And then he would have never trusted me when he said, I want to make sure you've been up on top of that cell this afternoon. I assured him that I had. <laughs> I want to make sure that you feel comfortable up there. And the truth is, if I'd ever gone up there, that afternoon, I never would have gone up there that night. Yeah. I, was, I was terrified. And if I could have, as soon as Undertaker's music went off, like I know human nature, like every eyeball in the place could be on him. And if I could have thought of a way to gracefully climb down that cell <laughs> without ruining my career, by God, I would have done it. 
but I couldn't, so I didn't. Uh, but then, no, it would never be, it would never be approved. You'd never be able to do that again. Well, that's the thing, like, like you know, obviously having read your autobiography, right, seeing the behind the scenes, all the stuff you guys have talked about it, for some reason, the match gets scarier the more I see it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, and it gets emotional, especially if you watch the whole thing instead of just the clips. Sure. I mean, did anyone know that it's Jim Ross's last day with WWE today after 26 years? And JR is known, you know, this, and I'm, I'm so honored to be part of we're inextricably entwined. Yeah, sure. That, you know, God is my witness, he's been broken in half. And I said, you know what, come to think of it, if Jim Ross says it, I don't think we need God as a witness, right? <laughs> I think just the authority of the best announcer of all time is enough. So he did an amazing job selling that. You know what's funny is, you guys remember Jason Sensation, who was in WWE like 98, 99. He did incredible voice imitations. So he can't travel from Canada, he doesn't have a green card. But I would let him do some voice work anytime I would go up there and I would talk about how remarkable it was and how Jim JR and I were in extra clean and twined. Yeah. And I said, Can you imagine if instead of JR making that call it had been Mr. McMahon on the microphone? <laughs> and uh, and then Jason goes, Oh, what is this? Oh, what a maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, down to the you know. Yeah. It, it was just, same. yeah, it was the right time, the right place and uh, I describe people think I'm crazy when I talk about the element of magic in the air. You like you can't script it, you can't create it, and that's one of the big question marks. You know, to jumping to the current product, the women are the main event at Mania. Yeah. Well, one of the question marks is like how much magic is going to be in that stadium if a it's snowing, right? It's snowing here this morning. And it's a nine-hour show. Yeah, it's and if there's seventy-five thousand people, sixty-eight thousand are looking up at big TV monitors. You know, because no one actually looks at the action in the ring. So I wouldn't want to be at the end of a nine-hour show. You sure. know, I'd be happy to go on first. You know, I am so happy the women are doing it, and I think if the women were not, you'd have a mass exodus after the women's match was on. Sure, because people just are not going to sit through, a, you know, something that they specifically see as the main event. And so I applaud WWE, and I hope the women tear the house down. When you, I mean, you've made a better WrestleMania. I didn't get a smattering of applause. For that. <laughs> Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> I did. 
to talk about like the legacy, right, and how you've managed to still be relevant and be, some would say, as popular as you were when this was all happening. What about that era? Still pretty popular, yeah. yeah. What, what about the attitude era do you think still rings true and why people still hold on to it so tightly? Oh, good question. That's what I'm here for, guys. You know what? <laughs> Every week we were given the opportunity to go out there and create and succeed, but also, equally importantly, to fail and to fail on a spectacular level. Like, if you're gonna fail, by God, do it spectacularly. And I think now the guys don't have that freedom. So some of the stuff we did absolutely tanked, you know? Sure. There were some promos that didn't go anywhere near, you know, I just, but I was thinking, to use a baseball analogy, like, I, I didn't go down with the bat on my shoulder, you know, I took my swings. But sometimes, you know, you took huge swings, you didn't connect, but you never know. If you're playing it safe, if you're trying to hit a single up the middle, you're going to hit a lot of singles up the middle, but you're not going to, you got to understand the baseball thing works, right, in the U.S. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to, you want to hit it out of the park, because those are the things people remember. And I think when you play it safe, like they tend to do now, I do, I love the current product. I think the athletes are better by and large, and that there are better matches more regularly. But I think there's a certain sense that people are trying not to make mistakes, especially when it comes to promos, yeah. instead of really letting it fly out there. Do you think, I mean, is this a pendulum move? Do you think it'll eventually swing back the other way? Uh, it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> We've been here for a while, right? It's like they're happy with the singles. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think what was nice, was amazing, was that you kind of simultaneously had a bunch of people hitting their stride, you know? Yeah. It was like, oh, God, I was there for the Austin phenomenon. I was like, there's no way anyone could ever come close to that. And then Rock, The Rock did, yeah. you know? And then it was like, man, under, you know, Undertaker's, you know, his gimmick, which they thought was, uh, people were warning me not to go there. Like, really wise people, like, that's a dead gimmick. That was in 96, right? Uh, that was 23 years ago, and yeah. he's still in demand, and now he's making appearances, right? And it's like, geez, uh, you know, people are lining up, they're selling out, like, you know, uh, you know, it's not like, thank you, I'm doing, this is the most fun I've had at a convention in a long time. <laughs> More relevant today than he's you know than he's ever been, sure. and, and Steve and you know and uh, and and The Rock and Triple H and we were all really hitting our strides. So it was uh, a lot of people getting to try things, and like I said, given the luxury of uh, you know of failing once in a while, which is important. Yeah. It sucks. The Rock's career never took off. <laughs> I don't like to talk about it. It's one of the really sad stories. <laughs> the one time he had a kid had a heck of a lot of potential. How often do you keep up with the old guys, the old guard? Uh, you know, sometimes here and there, you know, when I, it's fun that these shows, you know, yeah. like people see, uh, you know, like I wrestled Ray once when he was 16 years old <laughs> in 1995. And then I look around and I, when I, when I walk up to Lori Petty, and the first thing she does every time I see her, she punches me as hard as she can in the shoulder. Great. That's the way we greet each other. <laughs> the way she greets me. And so it's like that, you have a camaraderie with people doing these cons, and then, uh, you know, of course you see people WrestleMania week, and it's like, it doesn't matter if you haven't seen somebody in five or ten years, you pick up right where you left off. Do you miss it? I don't miss it because I have this, you yeah. know, it's like, I told Mr. McMahon that one thing that he had to realize, you know, is that WWE 
is a lot like <laughs> the world of, you know, Oz, right? Yeah. Like when Dorothy says, some of it was horrible, most of it was beautiful. And I don't think most people appreciate the beauty until they're gone. And then they would love to go back. And I'm like, I have the freedom. Like, I can just show up at any, you know, as Vince said, it's like my playground. I can come back anytime I want. So it's there whenever I whenever I want it, you know. I remember my kids used to um, want to go to the shows, and I would just show up. People were like, well, wait, what are you doing here? I was like, as long as I'm Mick Foley and my kids want to come to the shows, by God, I'm going to take them to the show. <laughs> so it's always there for me. I don't, I don't miss the in-ring stuff. Yeah. Uh, because I had plenty of that. And I'm always reminded, on a daily basis, I'm reminded that I uh, connected with people and made a difference. So, for people here who I'm sure, there's some of them who haven't kept up, right? What? You, you, you've come, you've left, you've done this, you come back, you go out again. What is, what is this, what are, you, what are you saying? There's some people who aren't watching the show. They're not watching Mick Foley every day, every, every moment of what he's doing. Also, yeah. what happened to your Twitter? Where did your Twitter go? Oh, I took a little break. Okay. Yeah. I went to Adam in the, in the panel the other day and it was gone. I was like, wait, what? A little break a Okay, that's fine, that's fine. I've been without a cell phone for 40 days now. What? How do you know where to go? I get lost a lot. <laughs> and uh, while I don't use F-bombs in real life, apparently I do use them in the interior of my car when I can't find my way around cities. Yeah, okay. And then I go back to rolling down windows and asking people. So um, I'm getting on without... How many people have flipped the F out? The window comes down and it's like, hi. It's like, mankind? <laughs> have a nice day. You drive away. <laughs> So what happened? Why, why, why the move? Um, I was just using it a little too often, you know? I think everything is done in, well, done in moderation. And I was like on there a lot. Even if I wasn't responding stuff, I was on there. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, it's family movie night and I'm like on my phone and I just, so I, uh, so I uh, put the phone under my car and I ran over it five times. And then I, uh, that was 40 days ago. Mick Foley it. doesn't do half measures. <laughs> Had 
hip replacement. So, <laughs> Ray Mysterio's got some really nice handwriting. I like to think that I'm up there in the top ten. Oh, wow. Because I worked on it. So, there's a lesson to be learned, you know? Like, you can get better at things if you work on them. And so, I really had this intention of making my handwriting more legible. And if anyone comes to the table and wants to see a sample of my penmanship, I will provide it, okay? <laughs> So then to go from here, 
all the way back to the beginning. Well, the question I always thought, you know, really having. Oh, yeah, we're going to take some questions too. In a minute. Oh, yeah, sure. If you want to line up over the mic. Yeah, where's the mic? There's one on the center here. Oh, there it is. If you want to line up over here, we can get you queued up. So, this will be my final question. All right. Why didn't you ever quit? We, you talk about how hard it was, right? Yeah. When you got started, when it was going. You talk about, you know, that match with the British Bulldogs when they clotheslined you so stiff. Yeah. Like, why did you never say, this isn't for me, I'm getting out of here? Because <sighs> it was a good move, not to. This worked out for you. Yeah. You know what's true is, if I hadn't talked such a big game <laughs> before I got into it, <laughs> I would have gotten the heck out of it, you know? Yeah. Because I, first of all, I hated it. Second of all, I sucked. <laughs> I just, I was not a natural athlete. And I thought, like, <laughs> theatrics <laughs> versus athletics was like, an 80-20 split, and it turns out it's not, you know? And uh, I thought my flair for the dramatic could cover my, you know, athletic weaknesses, and eventually it did. Eventually, I took Clint Eastwood's uh, proclamation, a man's got to know his limitations. Yeah. I took that to heart and made a pretty good living out of it, you know? Playing to my strengths, avoiding my weaknesses. There's a reason why you've never seen me drop kick. <laughs> the only time I ever dropped kick is when I was a WWE champion and I was facing the rocket house shows. <laughs> and I would shoot him into the ropes and go for a drop kick and he would hold the ropes. And it'd be like a big cut off spell. And I was like, my whole body was like, you know, like I was actually, from the moment I left my feet, I was sinking towards him. <laughs>
show or one movie and they fight it for a while and then they come usually come to embrace it and realize how fortunate they are. So that's the one match I am known for and I'm absolutely fine with being known for that match. Okay. Yes, sir, what's your name? Just mad. It's 
women, you're trying to get to that finish line, you know, and, uh, and, and we're fortunate that there are people now who will stop us from doing that, but I just, I wanted to give people the best match I possibly could. You know, we had a desired conclusion and you just try to get there the best you could. Did, was there ever that moment though of like, you talk about tearing the abdominal muscle, yeah. when you've done hundreds of times. Yeah. Was there that first time you were like going to do it again? Did, was it in your head? Oh, I was really scared. But I had a great match with Shawn Michaels in Biloxi, Mississippi. Huh? Only like five hours after I got stung by a man of war jellyfish. <laughs> And I remember going in, I had like tentacles wrapped around my, you know, like the stings, and I remember thinking like, dear God, like if this was like a child, like I, I was the most pain I'd ever felt uh, up until that point in my life, and I was like, how could anyone continue? Like I didn't, I can see why people would drown from that. They're like after every ounce of strength, I had to like make it up onto the sand. And then I still had a pretty good match with Shawn Michaels that night. So. <laughs> Who's next? Uh, my name is Jack, and uh, my question is, if you had to have one more match today with the stars of today, who would it be? And what oh. would be the stipulation? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one, Jack. That's a good one. I'd have wrestled Tommy Dreamer and a loser must take off his t-shirt match. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, Moose is walking down the street. 
uh, NXT special, and they had Finn Balor against Samoa Joe. And this is a while back. Yeah. And in the early early few minutes, Samoa Joe just gets busted open on the side of his head. And I've never been a fan of blading. I don't think that it really adds anything. But when you do get cut hard way, I think if they just stop everything to address the cut like they did there, because Joe's a big guy, he's got a lot of flesh, and just kept coming down and coming down. And I was just wondering, was there ever a point in your career where you were hurt so bad in the ring that they just had to stop everything and patch you up before they could continue, or is that just something they do now in the uh, PC era? Well, the, the best uh, example I give is the Hell in a Cell. I mean, when I went off the cell the first time, there was a slow procession of people out there to help me. When I went through the cell the second time, the ring filled up with about 12 people in about five seconds. And uh, yeah, that's the closest I can come to that, you know. Um, I guess there were probably some, a few matches I could have been. I'm going to tell you, I, I think it's for this, my, you know, Harley Race to Kansas City guy, right? <laughs> I call it putting the fear of Harley into people. So the Maryland State Athletic Commission had this rule that they would take care of injuries that took place in the ring, right? And so I had a very narrow margin for error in a lot of the stuff I did. So like I took a guardrail. If I missed by a little bit, I would instead of catching the part of my bicep with my right eyebrow, I caught the uh, you know the guardrail and it split my eyebrow open. And uh, afterwards there was this old. The uh, uh, old timer and part of the commission, he was like, "Yeah, Mike. He always called me Mike. Come here, Mike. It's too bad that, that that injury took place outside the ring, or else we'd be taking care of it." And Harley goes, "It took place inside the ring." <laughs> and he goes, "Come on, Harley. I saw where it happened." And so he goes, and "Harley goes. I said uh, it was a headbutt, uh, and it happened to be inside the ring." Uh,
saw how not imaginative I was with the false count anywhere. He's like, we're gonna make you the king of the false count anywhere match. <laughs> and then one day in Gainesville, Georgia, they had this arena and then on the far left side, there was like a big staircase that went down about four flights, but it was wide also. And, and I was having a match that night and Dusty starts talking, he goes, I remember this one time I was fighting while he reached the Tampa Armory, and we went all the way to the top of that building, and I took a, I gave Harley a bump, and he went absolutely ticket all the way down to the bottom of the stairs. Now, I'm not saying I want you to do that. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I said, I think I can do that. And sure enough, I took that bump all the way to the top of the building, the bottom, and when I was driving home, I'm hurting, and I'm like, he knew I was going to say that. of a 
players and put them in a room to come up with anything half as beautiful as hard times. And so I think when you take the heart and the mind and the soul of a genius like Dusty Rhodes and you have the ability to touch the life of a child who wasn't born until 10 years after that promo was delivered, you've created magic. And I think that's the one thing that's missing in the product today is that sense of magic that people like Dusty Rhodes created. Have a nice day. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash Neverland Podcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.